Um, the Bible reading for today is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, starting from verse 1, and it's on page 297. That is 1 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, chapter 25, from verse 1, page 297 on the church Bible. I read, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert at Parana. A certain man in Maon, who had properties there at Caramel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was sharing in Carmel. His name was Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent, beautiful woman. But her husband was sally and mean in his dealings. He was celibate. While David was in the wilderness, he had that Nabal was sharing sheep. So he sent ten... So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nebel at Carmel and, gre- and greet him in my name. Verse 7, Now I hear that it is sheep-sharing time. When your ships were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at, the, at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. As our servants... Sorry, ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men since we came at at a festival time. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nebel this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nebel answered David's servant, who is, da- who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David. Well, 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the field near, near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, there were a wall around us. The whole time we were hiding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole, and, and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. 
Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five tears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on, a, on the donkey. Then he told his servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face on the ground. She fell at her feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name, his name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And now, my lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on all, sorry, and all who intend on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the man who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord, you, your God, will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you, in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound short, securely in the, in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will be hauled away as from the pocket of a, sl of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and his appointed, him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience a staggering burden of needless bloodshed or have avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. 35. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she said to him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord. Who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt? He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Keep your Bibles open. Thank you very much, uh, Catherine. And I 
suddenly realized I sound very much like a fool unless I had something to say uh, written down in front of me. Uh, it is really great to have you here. What we normally do, if you're new to our church, uh, perhaps it just helps to explain, uh, we look at the Bible and we think about it and how it fits us in Dagenham today. And then after that, uh, because you want to be wise and I can sound like a fool it's good if I've made things unclear you can ask afterwards now what did you mean when you said and we can have a chat afterwards when we finish you can talk back you don't have to just be quiet and take it and say nothing uh, the chance will be there uh, I'm sorry Anne if, uh, if there's background noise I'm going to try and shout and I'm not being rude if I shout but if, I, if you can't hear me, tell me and I'll shout louder. All right? I'll do my best. Cause I know that in a, in a room this size, it's all we've got, really. So we've got to kind of make the best we've got with what we've got. So we're going to uh, have a go and uh, uh, make it work. Okay. Well, let's keep that part of the Bible open in front because we're going to study it. But let's ask ourselves the question at the start, which is... Can anyone be wise? Or is it just a few brainy people who can be wise? I was a wise man once. I was seven years old. I was in year three. And it was Christmas. I was wise for three nights on the trot. But can anyone be wise? Is being wise something you're born with? Or can you get it later? And is there a test that can tell you whether you're wise or not? Is it university or something else that tells you if you're wise? Now, this part of the Bible will actually give us the keys to be wise people. And so it's worth looking at. It describes a foolish person. It describes a wise person. And then it tells us why the wise is wise. We'll start with point number one and have a look at the foolish. Except you can't tell that he's foolish at first glance. He is a certain man in verse 2 and he is described as very wealthy. In case you need convincing that he is wealthy, well, he had uh, 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and uh, that means, well, he had more than you have. <laughs> and at a time when daily bread you'd be very happy if you just had daily bread. This kind of wealth is lottery money. Okay? It's the big time. And this man is about to get richer still because uh, if you look, it's sheep sharing time, which is payday. So here's a rich man about to get richer and 
he is a wise man to all appearances because he is savvy. He makes all the right decisions. You can look at his bank account to tell you that. But verse 3 says that he is a fool. His name is Nabal, which actually verse 25 says means fool. And his servants, who know him slightly better than the people whose first impressions will be that he's wealthy and wise, his servants know that uh, he is a fool. That's how they describe him in verse 17. No one can talk to them. And as this story goes on, this man acts foolishly. And foolishness comes across in three ways. Okay? The first thing foolishness comes across is it loves to own things. And Nabal's life is about his possessions. That's why they're listed in verse 2, the 3,000 goats, the the, 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 the thousand goats and three thousand sheep are listed in verse 2 even before you find out his name which is in verse 3 because that's how you would describe Nabal full on rich loves what he has and so you can tell how he is kind of possessive and he's got this head that says everything is mine, mine, mine if you look at verse uh, 11 all the arrows are coming towards him. Have you noticed how it says, why should I take my bread and the meat I have slaughtered and give it to, uh, for, slaughtered for my shearers? Yeah, it's all mine. And when there's no sense of actually I've been given everything I've got, therefore I can be grateful for what I've got. Therefore I can be generous with what I've got. When you just live in fool's world, you're doing this. Because it's all mine. Keep off. That's one mark of foolishness. Another one is that well, he doesn't listen. If he'd listened to uh, David's men described how they'd protected his flocks in verse 17, he'd have realized that he wouldn't have had so much to share if David hadn't been around, being a wall to him all the time, 24-7. That's how the shepherds describe David's care in verse 16. In other words, there would have been no party at all in Carmel if David had decided to help himself a bit while they were out in the hills. That's what they told Nabal, but Nabal wouldn't listen. That's why his servants go straight to his wife in verse 17 and they say, no one can talk to this man. And the person who doesn't listen doesn't get on with people. The servants didn't like him and his wife didn't uh, 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 respect him that much either. And lastly, he is into this life, but he doesn't respect God's king. Now I know that this little story we've just read tonight looks a bit of a stand-alone story in a bigger uh, uh, 
story that we're getting in 1 Samuel. But we need to understand how this little story fits in with the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that God has said a man called David will be the future king. God said that. But the king at that time, who's called Saul, wants to kill David. Now, Saul doesn't get a mention in this, uh, in this chapter really very much. But last week, if you were here, you know that Saul nearly killed David, but then David had the chance to kill Saul, but he wouldn't take it. He said, no, 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 no. If anything's going to happen to Saul, God will work justice. I won't hurt him myself. So you might think when you start verse 1 and you hear about a famous person dying, that that person is probably likely to be sore because David said, hey, God will look after him. God will sort Saul out. You'd think that it would be Saul that dies in verse 1, but no, it's Samuel. Samuel is the one who prophesied that David would be the future king. Now that Samuel has died, what's going to happen to that prophecy? Will it happen? Because it doesn't seem like it is happening. Poor David in verse 1 can't go to the funeral. He's got to go as far away from Saul as he can. So that's why he's turned up in this place called Carmel. He's had to move out into a desert in verse 1. In fact, into another country. Because Saul... He's not worried about David being a future king. He is still there. He is still secure. He is still in control. But Nabal is wise in the sense that he knows what's going on. If you look at verse 10, he's on the ball. He knows what's happening. He knows about David and how he's broken away from Saul as far as Nabal can tell. And as far as Nabal's concerned, David's not a king. He's just another waif and stray who is on the run from his master. He describes David as a son of Jesse. He's a nobody. Last week, if you were here, you saw that son of Jesse is what you call the person who had no future. I mean, son of Jesse. Who's heard of Jesse? Nothing's going to happen to his son. That is the description of a fool. Someone who loves to own. Someone who hates to listen. Someone who will not respect God's king. That's the foolish. Now, let's look at the wise. And her name is Abigail in verse 3. Not this one. The wise one in 1 Samuel 25. And the intro is that she's intelligent. And in the rest of the story, she acts, well, wisely. In three ways. Wisdom comes out, 
first in the fact that she's generous in verse 18. She's heard from the servants that they've only got what they've got because of David. And she knows that if David wants, he can take it all away, just like that. So she wants to be generous with what she's been given. Why not? I know she can give all this stuff away and it sounds like a lot, but there's a whole lot more where that came from. She's wonderfully conscious that David is the, why, the reason why they've got so much. She's very happy to uh, be generous with what she's got. The other thing is she listens. And the servants know that she will and they go and talk to her. She understands that actually there's been a big mistake. That's what listening does. It says, help, I've got it wrong. Let's go and put that right. And she acts immediately after that. But the big difference is that she sees that David is not just another armed thug. He is actually God's king. She says he's done nothing wrong in verse 28. And she says, anyone who is not submissive to this king is going to be hurled away like from the pocket of a sling. She says that in uh, uh, verse 29. Because God will fulfill everything that he has promised. In verse 30, she says that. Now that's the growing drumbeat that you get in this, in this book. Uh, David may be on the run, but Jonathan, who's actually uh, a prince, comes to him and says, you are going to be the future king. Later, the country's enemies, they're called the Philistines, they say that David is going to be the future king. Then Jonathan comes again and he says, you are going to be the future king. And now Abigail says the same thing and with massive conviction and clarity, you are going to be the king. And if anyone tries to get in your way, God will see to it that they don't. So it is an interesting thing, isn't it? Every time this guy is down... God sends someone to say, hey look, you've got to think about the future. You've got to think about the future. This is what's going to happen. Take your confidence from what I'm telling you about the future. And when Abigail speaks therefore to David as the king, she speaks to him in a very interesting way. You know what she says? She's not kind of trying to do a deal with him because she's scared about what will happen to her. I mean, she's a woman and the Bible makes it really clear that David's going to attack the men who work for Nabal. Women are safe. But she goes, not for her sake, but she goes to say to David, look David, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your reputation. I don't want anyone to think badly about you 
I don't want anyone to think that you are a tyrant, killing people, just because they didn't give you something to eat. For the sake of your reputation, don't do this, David. Don't do this. Your reputation may be harmed. I'm worried about what people will think about you. And so she treats him like the king and says, I want you to come across as the glorious king that you are. Not like a murderer. She cares for his name, his reputation. And David listens to her in verse 35. Now, it's helpful for us to understand why she's right. Why the wise are actually wise. You know why they're wise? They're wise because prophecy happens. What God says will happen, will happen. It's worth trusting that as true. You see, David turns back from going out to get Nabal, but it doesn't seem like God does. Because when Abigail ex- explains to Nabal about his narrow escape and what she gave David, well, his heart fails him in verse 37. And if you look at verse 38, it makes it clear that God has a hand in this. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. You see, the wise are wise because prophecy happens. And God will vindicate his king. Now that's important to remember because David trusted that God would in the end deal with Saul. He wouldn't hurt him. He trusted God would hurt Saul. Now, Saul is still around. He is not mentioned in this chapter like I said, but if you look at the last verse, you see that he is still there. And although he was Mr. Nice Guy to David last week, you can see at the end of that chapter, in the last verse, things are beginning to change. He's turning nasty again, and you see that come out next week. But he is still there, still in charge. He is still very secure. Even though... David said that God would deal with him. But here's the point. Nabal is in this chapter as a preview of those who don't rate God's king. And if you look at Nabal, you will see ultimately what will happen to Saul because prophecy happens. Anyone who goes against God's king will have God to face. And that's how it ends. Now, how is this going to help us in Dagnum today, far away from this passage? Well, I think if you're someone who's new and you've not really been to church all that much and you haven't got your head around all this Bible stuff, let me put it like this. It's not a bad thing to realise that there's a difference 
between being wise and being foolish. Now, at first glance, it seems like the foolish person is wise. Hey, this is the guy with the property, this is the guy with the wealth. And therefore, Dagenham wants to swap places with Nabal. Ask anyone down the street in Dagenham, what's your three wishes? And they'd say, I'd love to get more money to look after my family, I'd love to get my property and all that sorted. Uh, Dagenham would love to be like Nabal. But the trouble with being like Nabal is while it's Dagenham's dream, it's also Dagenham's nightmare. You look at our town. What are the marks of people who are like Nabal from what we've seen in the passage? It is that they want to own and own and heck they don't work. People work and work and work and you don't get any time off, do you? Because you want to keep adding to the pile. Worse, people don't listen. As a result, relationships in Dagenham, they're not close. People live in the same house, they're not close to the people they're living with. No one listens. That's the casualty when no one listens. Relationships go down the plug hole. And what happens is that people will think that God's king this Jesus, he's just another man. Who is this son of Jesse? Is what they said of David. David is the Old Testament Messiah, if you like. He's there to get people ready to understand what it would be like with Jesus. And with David they said, who is this son of Jesse? And with Jesus they said, who is this man? Isn't his father Joseph? That's all, he's the son of a carpenter, isn't he? And that's how fools operate when it comes to thinking about Jesus. No one. Not worth following. But can you see how God helps fools? The way that God helps fools is first by helping us to see that's actually what we are. So when God speaks, he doesn't, you don't get a voice coming out the sky, when God speaks, he speaks from the Bible, that's why people say the Bible is God's word, rightly, but when you get the Bible, what happens is, if you picture this as a kind of mirror, okay, it's like, here's a mirror with navel on it, and you look at the mirror and say, actually, hey, I'm a, I'm a bit like that. I'm someone who likes to do this with everything I've got. I'm someone who doesn't listen all that carefully to people. I'm someone who doesn't really uh, follow Jesus King, treat him as significantly as I should. I look into the mirror and that neighbor is me. Now it's a really healthy thing if you're new to Christian things to learn to be honest with yourself. Because nothing starts until we are. Nothing starts until we realize we are all fools. 
but the wonderful thing is that actually we can all be wise. Rather than have our one life's ambition as this and getting as much as we can, here is the wise ambition and that is to live to treat God's King, Jesus, as your King. If you live to do that and you really make it your life's desire to treat God's King, Jesus, like your King, then you can be wise. And we ask God's help that we might do that as we ask his help to forgive us for being fools. So, there is a lesson for those who may be starting off. Understand that actually your life is like Nabal. Be honest about it. Admit it. Don't hide. See the Bible as a mirror. And learn that truth. What happens if you happen to be kind of into church? Lots of people go, for, go to church here, there, everywhere, and they've done it for years. What's that got to te- this lesson got to teach us? Well, isn't it true that when you're knocked around these circles for a bit, you can sound like Abigail, hey, I want to treat God's king as God's king, but you sound like that for two hours on a Sunday, Monday to Saturday, you live as if ultimately you're able. The big driver is getting as much as you can. There's not much listening going on to others. And, ah, God's king's in the background now. Monday morning has come. And the week's kicked in. All that I picked up yesterday is gone. And I think it's just a, a thing to understand that actually it's so, sim- so easy for us to kind of sound like Abigail in church and to be like Nabal the rest of the week. You, you with me? So what is the test to know whether you're like Abigail or Nabal? I think there is a test. You know what that test is from this passage? I think it's generosity. When you understand that God has given you everything you've got, then you're going to be an Abigail all the time. You're going to be grateful all the time and you would love to be generous with what he's given you. Whereas the neighbor has the arms out protecting everything that they've got. It's interesting in our church, we, we never have collections on a Sunday. Uh, so um, we don't want to embarrass people who come to our church. Uh, we'd love them to enjoy coming here uh, as our guests. Um, but there are, if you like, uh, Abigails in our church who want to see what God has given them is brilliant who are so grateful, who are generous, who find out the church's bank account, if you like, and uh, 
are very generous behind the scenes. We do that because we want people to come and enjoy our Sundays with us as a treat. But it is interesting, is it, how that process makes it very easy for someone to come and sit here week by week, sounding like an Abigail week by week, but actually no generosity. It's dead simple to be like that in our church because uh, we obviously want people to feel uh, uh, un- not under pressure. So it is actually very helpful to see if actually that test shows us that actually we're more neighbor than Abigail. It's really worth being honest and saying, God, that's me. And I need your help to change and to be a generous person because I'm a grateful person because I know that you're the one who's given me everything that I have. What about if you're someone who is genuinely an Abigail, you want to live for God's King and if anything you want to be more of an Abigail, more wise in the way you respond to God's King. How would you go from here? What would you take from here? I guess it's really helpful for us to see that Abigail wanted God's reputation to grow. And so that's all she asked David to do, or rather she wanted David's reputation to grow. So she spoke to David and said, David, I want to do things that will make your reputation bigger. Don't go down this road. It won't make people realize how great you are. Please do this so people will see that uh, you're amazing. And I think that is how the Abigails will learn how to pray. God, I'm concerned for what people think about you. Will you work in ways that will make people think of you bigger and better all the time? Pray like that if you're an Abigail. Learn to pray like that more. And especially for the neighbours in your family. And to say, God, I'm married to a neighbour. I've got a neighbour who's a neighbour. I work with a neighbour. How would your reputation look if you acted in judgment on these guys? Wouldn't it be better for your reputation if you just gave them time and gave them someone to explain how to be wise in front of you? That's how Abigail would talk to God. It's a great way for us to talk to God as well. It is interesting, so far in this part of the Bible that we've been looking at, we've seen how David, if you like, is is the Old Testament Messiah, the one who's helping us to understand about Jesus. David's the guy who's helping us to understand about Jesus. So far, that's what we've seen. But in this chapter, Abigail is the one who's helping us to understand what Jesus is like. He... Uh, is the one who turns his father's anger away and says, 
uh, don't punish them. So when Jesus was dying on the cross, that's how he spoke to God. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Give them another chance. And that's exactly what God did. Straight after Jesus died, he filled Jerusalem with people who spoke about Jesus, gave them a chance to understand how to treat God's king. Now I know they didn't listen, but then in our story, Nabal didn't listen either, did he? When he heard that David was not going to come for him, that his wife had been generous to him, when he heard that, Nabal's heart didn't leap for joy, it froze in anger. And he died. But Abigail was still wanting him to have that chance to plead for the safety of her family. But it is interesting that she pleaded for that for David's name's sake rather than just the safety of her family. And I think that is a really profound thing. If you are someone who is a genuine believer and you want to know how this might change you today, Go home with this new way of talking to God. Say, God, from now on, I'm only going to ask you to do things that make you look good. I'm not going to ask for myself. But everything will go hunky-dory with me. I'm going to ask that your name, your reputation is going to way, be way up there. Because that's what I want from now on, more than anything else. Let's go back praying for our families where there are neighbors in them. Praying for our area where there are neighbors in our area, on our estate. And let every prayer be for God to save them for the sake of his name. I'm going to pray that now and then over to you for questions. Let's pray. Our great and glorious Father, we, you are a great God and the whole of your being is glorious and it is right for us to be wanting that glory to be seen by others as well. So fill us with the Holy Spirit and make us wise so that we can live to serve the king that you have promised us will be the king because prophecy happens help us to follow Jesus to treat him that way and help us to pray for his glory that fools may become wise and we pray that in his name Amen now I wonder if uh, we could have the lights on I was about to say